We're tracing the steps of the Savior using Mark's gospel. But they are not the steps that anyone would have predicted for a king and a Messiah. The Jewish religious leaders had had enough. They had never seen anyone like Jesus teaching with a new authority. He was hanging out with all the wrong types, the broken, the outcast, the unclean of society, and he did not respect the establishment that was already there in place. Jesus was threatening their status among the worshipers. Their comfy relationship with the Roman occupiers and the means of their wealth because of those two dynamics. But they couldn't get rid of him without the Roman authorities deciding so. They knew how to play the game, though. And so they said that Jesus was a threat to Caesar. They pointed out the overflowing city because of the coming Passover feast and warned about what might happen if this popular religious figure incited crowds who were in the midst of singing nationalistic songs, feeling a a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood and, and unity. What if he gave them ideas to revolt against the Romans? The last thing Rome wanted from this far-flung province was a disturbance of the peace, the Pax Romana. So Pilate gave in, and the soldiers took over. A delight for them in this boring and thankless job that had its sadistic delights. They made him their plaything, torturing him with whips and placing a mocking crown of thorns on his head. And then they paraded him down the center of the city, partly to make a statement to the crowds, this is what happens to you when you oppose Rome. Jesus' humanity was stripped away, literally, with blood everywhere, flesh partly torn, half-naked, gasping for breath like a panting animal. People could hardly bear to look at him. That's precisely what the prophet Isaiah said of the suffering servant hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem." But the soldiers were taking this a little bit too far. Jesus carrying that heavy wooden beam wasn't going to make it. He kept falling with blood loss and exhaustion and shock to the system. If he passed out or, or worse yet, died on the way outside of the city, well, that would defeat the purpose of this most cruel of all execution methods. No good torturer kills his victim too quickly. And so, as we just heard in the Gospel of Mark, the soldiers grab a a guy in the watching crowd, Simon of Cyrene, and they make him take Jesus' burden the rest of the way to Golgotha, outside the city. And outside the city, in that place, they laid Jesus down on the crossbeam he had carried most of the way, 
nailing each wrist to that beam. And if that weren't enough, then they raised up this beam to intersect a post that was already buried in the ground and nailed that crossbeam to that post and then proceeded to fasten his feet with a third spike to that post. It was 9 a.m., unimaginable agony, bones scraping, ligaments and tendons tearing. But the torture of crucifixion wasn't just from the wounds. It was also from suffocation. Because when all of your weight was hanging like this, you needed to push, yourselves, push yourself up using your nailed-in feet to free your diaphragm just enough to push air out of your lungs so you could gasp for a shallow breath before you sunk back down because of gravity. And after hours of that agony, the victim had no strength to push up and would die of asphyxiation. For Jesus, that agony lasted six hours. But that wasn't even what Jesus dreaded. When he spent the previous evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying in deep distress, wondering if somehow there was another way. The worst of the agony was something that we could never understand. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in the mystery of the Trinity, one God, three persons, had enjoyed from all eternity past a perfect union perfect love, perfect one another, perfect intimacy in relationship. And somehow, in the depth of mystery of the cross, while the son hung on the cross, the father abandoned him. Somehow. We can't explain that. Somehow, as the son hung on the cross, the father cut off all relationship with the Son whom he had loved and enjoyed and received love from from all eternity past. And that cutting off of the presence of the Father is the essence of hell. Jesus suffered hell on the cross. Far beyond his wounds, his pain, his blood loss, he suffered hell when the Father turned his face away And Jesus, for the first time in all of eternity, was alone, was barren, could not experience and taste love and compassion. Jesus had no any any longer an identity beyond the recipient of just divine wrath that our sins deserve. That was his identity. If any cry throughout all of history should send a chill up your spine, it should be this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Said the son to the father who was no longer listening. Psalm 22. 
Jesus quoting scripture until the very end. He didn't know where his father went. He knew this would be the hell of the cross. This is why he sweated blood and tears in the garden of Gethsemane because he could not comprehend being cut off from the one with whom he had experienced perfect, eternal, purest love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? That was hell. Paul describes that moment like this, 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin, who was sinless and perfect. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And Jesus willingly took it on himself. But he was sinless and he was holy and he was only deserving of love and approval. Yes, that's why at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the salvation that is offered to you through faith in this Jesus is the reality of substitution. Carl already pointed us to that in reading Isaiah 53. His horrific suffering and abandonment should be our path. That would be just and right because we have sinned. We are the ones who have rejected our Creator and King, and yet the perfect Son willingly laid down His life and suffered hell on the cross so that as you and I trust in Him, believe in Him, stand upon this as the the cornerstone of our very being now and for eternity, as we do that, we might live in freedom and forgiveness. Jesus was abandoned by the Father so that we might be accepted and adopted. Jesus experienced spiritual separation so that we, through faith in him, might experience the deepest spiritual, physical, relational, emotional union that is possible for man and woman created in the image of an eternal God. Jesus was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Do you believe this? These truths are the essence of what it means to be a Christian, to come to grips with the horror of a truth that what is just is that I experience hell for my sin, but what happened instead is that Jesus took my place on the cross so that I might escape it. Do you believe this? This is what we'll sing. Behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Lord God, Overwhelm us with these truths that sometimes may be too familiar to us. Cause them to be a fresh pricking of our hearts, a fresh reminder of our sinfulness. But more powerfully than that, a fresh reminder of your perfect love for us 
through your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.